we're going to be continuing on in our series, uh, which is called The Word. Uh, we're looking into the Gospel of John. Uh, again, this is a series that's going to take up to two years, but we're going to have breaks for various things, uh, Easter, Christmas, uh, some various little series that will pop in and out. Uh, but again, we want to focus on this. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 31 kind of gives us the reason for that, uh, that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so we're going through this book, uh, the Gospel of John, looking at the life uh, of Jesus, what he did, how he revealed the Father to us, how he revealed that life is for us in his name, uh, and that we're able to respond to that. Uh, today we're going to be in John chapter 1, kind of the middle section, um, in, in verses 14 through 24. Uh, looking at uh, John the Baptist a little bit. John the Baptist did not write this book. The Apostle John wrote this, um, but it'll be talking about a John in here, and that'll be John the Baptizer. Um, and we're going to get into verse 14, but before we do, let's pray. Our Father, we come before you this morning, uh, and we're thankful for everything that you have done. Uh, we're thankful for uh, a phone being found and returned. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for uh, my knee being healed. We're thankful for the connections that we have uh, as we go out into the community and we gather together, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, uh, as you work in our hearts and our lives and our minds. Father, we come before you and we submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit this morning. As we look into the book of John, I pray uh, that you would make it alive to us, that it would speak deeply to us, uh, if we need encouragement, that we would be encouraged. If we need to be challenged, that we would be challenged. Um, and that we would follow the leading of your spirit in all that we do. Father, we thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John 1, verse 14. Uh, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So again, last week we are kind of looking at the word meaning Jesus and how Jesus is God. Uh, from the creation and created all things. Uh, and so here it is God among us, or Emmanuel. We look at that often when it comes to Christmas, uh, being God is with us. Uh, so God became flesh uh, and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, and this is the baptizer, testified concerning him and exclaimed, This is the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. So that's kind of a convoluted sentence. Essentially what John is saying here is he's prophesying this understanding that, that only the Holy Spirit could give to him. He's saying, I'm just preparing the way for the Messiah, but the Messiah existed before me. And in that he was prophesying that, that God himself that existed from eternity past, created all things, uh, was coming. And so uh, he existed before me. Verse 16, indeed, we've all received grace upon grace from his fullness. Uh, and this is where we're going to focus uh, mostly on this morning, this grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we'll just take a look at uh, some of the language here real quick and then kind of get into what it means for us. Uh, the word grace uh, is Strong's G5485, uh, which is charis. 
It is goodwill, loving kindness, favor. Uh, it's the spiritual condition of one governed uh, by the power of divine grace. It's, it's God's gift towards us, his work in our life. Uh, and so we have this grace upon grace. It, and when it's repetitive, uh, it really shows emphasis. But it also then says from his fullness. Now fullness is G4138, play Roma, which means completeness, a, a full measure, a, a sum to, uh, total, a, a fulfillment. And so what it's saying is we've all received, or, or those of us that have salvation in Christ, have all received uh, a spiritual condition from God, a goodwill favor from God upon favor from God uh, according to the fullness, the sum total of who Jesus Christ is. I just think about that for a moment. Like, like we say, we, we receive grace when there's some mercy. For Howard, it was grace that he received his phone back. But, but what this message is saying to us is that in Jesus Christ, through salvation, he has chosen to give us grace and gift and favor upon favor, upon love, upon mercy, upon grace according to the fullness, the, the absolute measure of Jesus Christ. This is transformative. Our lives are radically changed. Uh, before that, we're just living in our own strength according to our own abilities, making choices according to our own wisdom, and whatever seems right to us. But at the point of salvation, of trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, He takes us and, and changes us and pours out His grace upon us. It's a work that results in transformation. 2 Corinthians uh, puts it this way. We are not like Moses. Uh, let's just look back at John 1 for a second. Uh, it said that the law was given through Moses. The, the law, again, was all about obedience. It was do this or kill an animal. Follow these laws, and, and if you don't do it perfectly, an animal, something must die in order to make up for your sin. And so we have the law through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ at the end of verse 17 in John chapter 1. So, so there's a change that happens in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And so then in 2 Corinthians, as Paul is writing, he's pointing to this difference. We're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites uh, from gazing steadily until the end of the glory uh, of what was being set aside. And so this is talking about a, a time where Moses went up onto a hill to talk to God. Uh, he came back down and his face was like shining so much that nobody wanted to look at him. They're like, this disturbs us. Your face is glowing. Put a bag over it. Like, <laughs> that's how they responded to him. Um, and it's saying that their minds were hardened. They didn't want to participate. They didn't want to follow. They didn't want to be involved at all in what God was doing uh, as he spoke to Moses. It says, for to this day, as the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It's not lifted because all they want is that sense of control through obedience to the law. The sense of it's in my own strength. 
I can either follow what it says or not. And if I make a mistake, then I can kill something, uh, which then atones for it. And it's really through your own strength. And this veil is there, but this veil is only set aside in Jesus Christ. This blindness is only lifted through the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's part of the grace upon grace that he's given to us. When he helped us to realize we need a Savior. We can't do this in our own strength. And so we have this. But in verse 16, it says, Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The blindness is removed. There may be people here this morning that you're considering Jesus Christ. You're considering following him as your Lord and Savior. And there might be things in your life that you're kind of like, I kind of doubt this. I'm not quite sure if I want to buy into this. Uh, that was my own experience. I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, and for 23 years was, was a Jehovah's Witness. And came to a point where I was at an evangelistic outreach. Uh, and I was talking to two gentlemen. Uh, and I'm recounting my life and how, like, I need God's help. And they're like, yeah, you do. Uh, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Um, but I said, I, before I do whatever you want me to do, can you explain the Trinity to me? Um, uh, egg? Uh, like, <laughs> it's one of those mystical things that, that we have some examples that we can point to, but, but nothing is perfect. And, uh, and when I asked that question, they just kind of like stepped back for a second and, and paused. And so I, I just pushed again. I said, well, then explain why hell exists to me. And it was that same sense where they just kind of paused for a second. Now, for me, those things were my veil. Like, I didn't want to go all in to follow God and have him work in my life because my intellect wanted to be able to have control. I wanted to be able to choose to accept something in order to say, yep, I'll buy into this. But I'll never forget what he said to me. He says, right now, it doesn't matter if you understand the Trinity. Right now, it doesn't matter if you understand the existence of hell. Right, right now, all that matters is that you understand you need God. And you need Jesus. And we're not asking you to join our religion. We're just asking you to say, God, I trust you. And anything you show me, I'm willing to follow. Well, that makes sense to me that day. And so I prayed that, and I asked, and I said, God, I, I don't want to do this in my own strength. I, I don't understand some of these things, but I'm going to choose to trust you because I believe you exist, and I need you to guide me and teach me and show me truth. And on that day, as I prayed that, I, honestly, it was like a veil was lifted. All the stuff of the Jehovah's Witnesses that they taught, it was like so clear to me how it's not even in Scripture. And that veil was lifted. So that's what he's talking about here. And there may be some people here today where you kind of want to follow Jesus, but there's things that you're just kind of like, I don't know if I want to make that decision until I get this figured out. I want to tell you what it says here is that the veil is only set aside in Jesus. And when a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. It's a step of faith and trust. And then God supernaturally will do what you're unable to do yourself. And so make that step and trust him today. In fact, is there anybody here right now 
that wants to, to do that, wants to say, I want to follow Jesus, even though there's things that I, I need him to show me. I don't want to move from this if there is anybody. All right. So we have this. The veil is only removed through Jesus Christ. Uh, and now we get into verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, and now he's talking about this new covenant, this new testament, uh, after the resurrection of Jesus, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So really what it's saying is Moses had to go up to a hill in order to talk to God, and, and God even put his hand over it so Moses wouldn't get a full glimpse of him. Now because of God coming down to earth, walking in flesh as Jesus Christ, he fully revealed himself to us. In fact, we see within the book of John that, that anybody that has seen Jesus or knows Jesus knows the Father. And so for those of us who have made Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we, with unveiled faces, are looking at the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ. And as we look at the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ, we're being transformed by the Spirit into the same image, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We're being transformed from glory to glory, and this is the grace upon grace from the fullness of Jesus. Because when we come to salvation, he doesn't even leave us where we're at in our brokenness and just say, you know what? I, I, I forgive you. Uh, here's your get into heaven free card. Um, now just wait until you die or I come back. But because of his grace upon grace, he's transforming us from this into glory and glory after the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, our lives should never be the same and our lives should never plateau. If they plateau, it's because we've stopped submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Because he says right here, we're transformed from glory to to glory as we allow the work of the Spirit within our lives to transform us and lead us in this life. Our life should not be about anything in this world. And, and yet, how much focus, how much resources, how much of our intentionality is simply into our existence here and now instead of pursuing this and, and what God has for us. It's deeply connected into what God wants us uh, to be transformed into. And Jesus accomplished this, the ability for us to be able to do this, when he perfectly obeyed the law and then died for our sins in order to give us grace and truth, in order to begin the process uh, of transformation. Again, it's not anything that we can earn. Because we're saved by grace, Ephesians 2 tells us. Grace upon grace, through faith in Jesus, and then we begin to be transformed in order to do uh, the works that he's prepared for us beforehand. We don't earn our salvation, but once he changes us, he's got a job for us to do as the church and as individuals. And again, the church is the individuals. 
It's where we feel like God is really taking us as a group. It's, it's not just to be a, a few people that, that point to Scripture. Like, my entire heart in doing this is to say, do you realize what God has done for you and the life that he's calling you to live? And grace upon grace out of the fullness of Jesus Christ as he transforms you from glory to glory into the image of Jesus? You're to impact this world for one another and for those outside these walls. That's what you are called to do, to do the work of the ministry, to share the gospel. It is an immense calling. It is a holy calling. But it's not in our own strength. It's because of the grace upon grace out of the fullness of Jesus from glory to glory. And we'll get into the empowerment of this that, that we are given. We, if we had time to get more into John chapter 1, we start to see this interaction between John uh, and the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are questioning, like, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you dunking people in water? And Jesus says, I'm just trying to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And so they go through this whole conversation. Uh, the next day after that conversation, we go into verse 29 in John chapter 1. Uh, and here it says, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I, I just imagine being there. Like, like, Scripture tells us uh, that John uh, wasn't the sharpest-dressed guy. Like, like, he wore goat skins and ate locusts and honey. Uh, and then he dunked people into the River Jordan. And, and so he's probably sitting there half in water, maybe some honey on his beard or, you know, on his goatskin cloak. Uh, Jesus is walking down towards the river, and, and maybe you're just finished baptizing somebody and, and he sees Jesus and you're watching this and he just declares out there like, like, look, this is the one who is going to take away the sin of the world. Again, a prophecy into the gospel and what Jesus was going to do. Verse 30, this is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and rested on him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, or, or God sent John to do this uh, in preparation for Jesus, also told him, the one that you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Everything's changing here. Everything is changing here. You have John the baptizer who, who grew up in that Jewish mindset of, okay, if we sin, there needs to be a sacrifice to pay for the sin. And now here he's prophesying uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit, to say, here comes the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Here is the perfect, ultimate sacrifice that will take away the need for the killing of animals to atone for our sins. He's going to do it for us once and for all. And then he says, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. 
not just water, but the Holy Spirit. Their understanding uh, of the Spirit in the past was this momentary thing that would happen sometimes. We, We talked about Samson a few weeks ago. And his strength, like he'd be in a situation and and the Spirit would come upon him, grant him strength for that situation, but it wasn't permanent. It did not stay. And so here is this prophecy of Jesus coming into the world, not only to forgive sins, but to baptize in the Spirit. Uh, Within this passage, again, there's the two different types uh, of baptism. Water baptism is a symbol. It's a symbol of something that's already been done within our hearts. It's the, the descending underwater symbolizes our spiritual death, our, our commitment to following Jesus Christ as our Lord, dying to ourselves, and, and then coming back out of the water uh, is a symbolic of our spiritual resurrection that was purchased through the blood uh, of Christ. But the baptism with the Holy Spirit empowers this new life that we were resurrected spiritually into. We see in Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, this is after Jesus' crucifixion, after the resurrection, uh, after spending time with them for 40 days. Uh, In verse 3, in verse 4, he was with them and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This sounds important to me. Like, here's, uh, imagine what the disciples have just gone through. They saw Jesus arrested. They watched him die on a cross. And then they mourned for three days. Our rabbi is gone. Our teacher is gone. What's going on? Then they see him resurrected. They see him walk through doors and appear in locked rooms. And they're celebrating that he's back. And you look back into Luke and into John and Matthew and Mark. He's been preparing them and equipping them all this time to do a work of ministry. And as he spends time with them for 40 days, he's saying, this is what I want you to do. Like, like here's how Scripture is fulfilled in me. You're to go out to the ends of the world. But before you do, wait. Wait for the promise from the Father. I think most of us in that situation be like, okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> like, like, here is the risen Jesus, the Messiah, and he's telling us to wait for something important. Wait for the, promise, the, the Father's promise. Uh, in verse 4, which you've heard me speak about. You can read about that in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, where he talks about the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, you've heard me speak about this, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, are we restoring to the kingdom to Israel at this time? They're still thinking an earthly mindset of the Messiah overthrowing Roman rule. And he's speaking to them and saying, it's not for you, in verse 7, to know the times or periods that the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. He's saying, I've got a job for you to do. I've got a job for the church to do, but you can't do it 
until the promise comes from my Father and you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and empowered through the power of God to do this. You can't do it in your own strength. There's a few things we can pull out from this passage in Acts. Uh, The first one uh, is that this baptism of the Holy Spirit is done after salvation. It's something where nobody at this point would say about the apostles, "Uh, I don't think you're saved yet. Like literally, you've been following Jesus through this. Uh, And even if you remember, in in John chapter 14 and 15, when he's talking to them, he's saying, you're already clean. You've been made clean by the word that I've spoken to you. And so this aspect uh, of salvation and their following him and believing in him. And so this baptism of the Holy Spirit for them was done after uh, salvation. Now, when we become saved, uh, Ephesians 2 tells us uh, that at the point of salvation, we receive a deposit uh, of the Holy Spirit within us uh, as a guarantee of our inheritance. That's that aspect of God dwelling within us uh, in a relationship that's only done through that aspect of salvation. But this uh, is an equipping work of the Holy Spirit uh, to prepare us for that work that we're supposed to do. Uh, It's something that happens uh, afterwards that we seek, that we follow. Uh, It might be something that happens um, very, very close to salvation. And in other times within the book of Acts, uh, we find them going to people and saying, okay, you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Uh, We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so um, we're finding that they are believers. They are saved But they didn't know about this. And so they prayed for them. They laid on hands uh, and they received that baptism uh, in the Holy Spirit in order to be equipped to do the work that Jesus gave us to do. We are not to pursue this for our own benefit. This is not something that that we try and do in order to reach a higher spiritual plateau for ourselves or to have a good, warm, fuzzy feeling. We're to do this in order to be equipped to do what Jesus asked us to do, to pursue this, to be equipped. And we've been focused on that as a church for a season here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7 begins by saying, Now there are different gifts but the same spirit the word gifts here uh, is the greek word uh, charisma the root word of that is charis which is grace upon grace right and and so when we're looking at john and john is starting to say you are going to receive charis upon charis through the fullness of Jesus Christ, he then later says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, it's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but the word gift is grace. You're receiving grace upon grace to the fullness of Christ in order to do the work that Christ has called you to do as you're transformed from glory to glory into the likeness of Christ. Verse 5, there's different ministries, but the same Lord. There's different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Not for you personally. Now again, 
us being obedient to this, uh, us being humbly submitted to this, is a spiritual benefit for us. But it cannot be our motivation. There was a man uh, named Simon in the book of Acts that, that saw the Holy Spirit baptism happening as people were laying on their, apostles were laying on their hands uh, and praying for people uh, and gifts of the Spirit would result. And he's like, that's a cool gift. I want to be able to do that. Here, let me give you some money. His intention in that was to have power, to have fame, to have recognition. He was seeking it for himself, not for the common good. We've been talking about Ephesians chapter 4, where the saints are to be equipped for the work of the ministry in order to build up the body into what? the fullness of Jesus Christ. The same of the grace, the grace until the fullness of Christ. Glory to glory into the full likeness of Christ. We're to build each other, one another up by ministering to one another through this equipping of the Holy Spirit. This charismata, uh, these grace gifts. Uh, it's something that we struggle with sometimes. Um, that we might get uncomfortable with. There's people uh, in this room that have various spiritual backgrounds, various church backgrounds. Growing up as a Jehovah's Witness, uh, I believed that these gifts weren't uh, available. In fact, I was taught that anybody speaking in tongues was demon-possessed, which is not what 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 teach. But rather, the gift of tongues uh, is a gift of grace for us to be able to pray to God or to be able to speak through us with the tra uh, translation and interpretation. And, and so there might be other people in this room that are uncomfortable with this. Maybe you've been to some churches that, that truly believe that these gifts are for us today but have seen it done in a way that is not glorifying Christ and not done in order but actually leaves a bad taste in your mouth because it was inappropriate. That's what happens when we pursue the gifts for the sake of the gifts and the experience instead of pursuing them in humble submission to the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do for the benefit of others. If we just pursue them for the experience, we're going to get weird, and we do not want to do that. We just want to know what God wants us to do and step out in faith and then watch Him work in power and in might. Again, you may not be comfortable with these things, but you need to acknowledge Jesus died to buy them for you. Jesus said, it's better for me to leave. It's better for me to die for my blood to drip onto the dusty ground of Jerusalem so that the Holy Spirit comes to equip you for the work that I have for you to do. So regardless of how comfortable you are with the gifts, or whether you feel like you don't want to pursue them, you have to acknowledge he died for you to have them. That's the value that he placed on it. For you to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. So are you seeking it? Are you praying for it? Have you just humbly submitted and saying, God, whatever you want. If this is how you've chosen to equip your church, then I want to be a part of that. Or is there resistance saying, that's, 
that makes me uncomfortable. And, and so I, I'm just not going to choose to use this gifting in this ministry that you've called me to do. And, and so I'm going to do it with like two arms tied behind my back in my human strength versus what he died to give us. So this happens post-salvation, um, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, uh, it's not necessarily a one-time thing, but there can be subsequent or, or later refillings of the Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts chapter 4. Uh, this is where Peter and John had been arrested. Uh, they were in the Sanhedrin. They were facing the same judges that condemned Jesus to death. Uh, and after they released, in verse 23, they went to their own people, reported everything that the chief priests uh, and the elders had said to them, uh, which is basically stop preaching Jesus or we're going to kill you. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You've created everything around us. You said through the Holy Spirit, uh, out of the mouth of the Father David, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? Meaning that, that human tendency is to resist the work of the Spirit and to try and control it, manipulate it, and create rules about it. That's what the Pharisees did, and so they didn't recognize Jesus coming. Verse 27, for in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel uh, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and will had predestined to take place. So again, this is the example that we have in Jesus, uh, who uh, did whatever the will of the Father was and was predestined to take place. Uh, and what this reveals is Jesus' humble submission to God's plan. Where do you want me to go, Father? I'll go. We find passages that says he only did what his Father showed him to do. We want to have that same humble submission. God, what do you want us to do? Jesus, how do you want us to represent you? A humble submission to whatever you have for us, we want to follow. Whatever gifts you've given us, we want to use and not neglect. This is what the pursuit of spiritual gifts and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's a humble submission to the design and plan of God. Not trying to grab it and control it, but to humbly say, this is what your word says, and this is how we're supposed to be the church, minister to one another. And so I humbly submit to that. Show us how to do it rightly, anchored to the word of God, not in our own strength, not for our own fame and glory. We're just simply imitating Jesus in that. What do you want us to do? So in verse 29, they said, Now, Lord, consider their threats. Grant that your servants, or, or the apostles and the disciples, may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing. Signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so their prayer right now is, God, give us boldness. They threatened our lives. We don't want to give up on this calling, this uh, thing that you have us to do. So give us boldness to do that, and we're going to trust you to move in power as we step into what you called us to do. It's the same thing that we want to do as a church. God, what you've called us to do, we want to step out in boldness, and we trust you to move. 
But in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place that they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. So again, this is James, John, Peter, the apostles, the disciples that were there at Pentecost 33 when the tongues of fire came and the baptism of the Holy Spirit for them came. Those same people here in Acts 4.31 are again filled with the Holy Spirit as they were seeking the equipping of God to do what he called them to do. I think that's the challenge for us today. As we get into the book of John, uh, we pointed at it before. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all started off with genealogies. John starts off by saying Jesus is God. Everything is different now. And what he's showing us in talking about Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit is saying that we're no longer simply human, but we're empowered by the very power that raised Jesus from the dead, uh, as in Ephesians chapter 1. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in us. Are we submitted to that? Do we want to follow that? Now this morning, we're going to celebrate communion. Um, and so if you want to get that kind of prepared, uh, I'd like the worship team to stay where you are, actually, please, uh, and just participate in this. Um, but I'm choosing to do communion now for a, a very specific reason. Communion was instituted uh, on Jesus last night before uh, when he was betrayed. And so he's having dinner with his apostles and his disciples. And he's teaching them. He says, one of you will betray me. And G Judas gets up and leaves. And then Jesus institutes communion. This idea of this is a participation in the body of Christ. That, that the wine or the juice represents his blood, that the bread represents his body, and that as we participate in this, we are declaring our participation in Jesus, one with another and with those around us. Do you know where most of the teaching that Jesus gave on the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the equipping of the Holy Spirit is? Right after communion. Right after communion. Judas leaves. Here, let's do this together to represent your oneness with me. And then in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's better for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit comes, that, that that's when the equipping will happen. And then he goes into his prayer in John chapter 17. They go to the garden, and he's betrayed and crucified. The next time he talks about the Holy Spirit is when he says, wait for what I promised will come. But most of Jesus' teaching on the coming and the equipping of the Holy Spirit was done right after communion. And so this morning, I want to partake of communion together. But as we do this, I also want you to reflect that this means a participation in the body of Christ. And I also want you to be examining your hearts and whether or not you are truly, humbly submitted to being used by God in the way that he planned it to happen. Are you open 
to being used by the Holy Spirit. After we take communion, um, what I would like to do is if anybody uh, has never experienced being baptized in the Holy Spirit and you want to step out in faith and ask for that, we want to pray with you. If, if you're here and you're like, I need that new filling that they had in Acts chapter 4, we want to pray with you. But I want to do communion together as a pre- uh, preparation in our hearts, an acknowledgement of our participation in the body of Christ, and then being able to step out in faith afterwards, saying, I want to participate in the fullness of the grace upon grace and the transformation from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus and I'm willing to be used and submit to the Holy Spirit. And, and even in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it tells us to eagerly desire these gifts that he bought with his blood. Matthew chapter 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Let's participate with Christ. Verse 27, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this gift of communion, this tangible reminder of our participation in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your holy word, the the radical teaching of everything has changed and everything is different. And we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would guide us and lead us. Uh, Lord, we ask that you help us to step out in boldness and trust. And if you um, wish to uh, grant gifts this morning, we pray for those in faith. If there are those that want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Father, uh, we seek that in faith and in boldness, and we trust for you to move. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.